Welcome to the Calvary Baltimore Weekly Sermon. Calvary meets in the Joppa Falston area between Baltimore and Bel Air, and our pastor is Josh Plantholt. Come join us on a Sunday. Our service info is at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. And now, here's this week's teaching. Well, good morning. <clears throat> we are in Psalm 130 this morning. Just so you all are aware while you turn there, uh, typically when we finish a chapter in Revelation, sometimes we'll take a one or two day holiday in another portion of text while I read uh, the commentaries I have to to get us ready for, re- for the next chapter. Um, and normally it's what God has put on my heart. Uh, so that, that's, that's the origin to Psalm 130 right now. Also, uh, uh, tomorrow morning we have, uh, I got to bring my, my Nathan to a dentist appointment, uh, and then I get, I find out the results of my biopsy tomorrow. So there will be no B-side in the morning, just as a heads up, if you, those of you that catch tomorrow morning's Bible study, we'll have to postpone that to another time. Uh, but anyway, Psalm 130, and this is really, truly a, an incredible uh, piece of God's word, um, I feel very blessed to share it with you today. Let's start at verse 1. Out of the depths I cried to you, O Yahweh. O Adonai, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. You know, one of the things that the psalm instructs us in frequently, and this is seen so clearly in the life of of Jesus Christ uh, through the, the four Gospels, is that if you're waiting... If you're waiting to come to God until you're sinless, <laughs> or better, or, or good, it will never come. <laughs> you know people like this, they're waiting to come to church until they get their act together, or it'll never come. God is showing us here today that it is when we are broken, it is precisely then that we go to God. Not after days, weeks, months, years after we have attempted to dig or swim ourselves out of the tri- out of the pit, out of our troubles, so there is a sense that God wants us in our brokenness. This was the Pharisees' critique. Remember, they saw all these sinners sitting with Jesus at his table, prostitutes and tax collectors, and they go, "How can you sit with those kinds of people, Jesus, God?" And he says, "I've come to help those who know they are sick." Not those who think they are well. God wants us in our sickness. What's the first person listed in the kingdom of heaven in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who know they're spiritually bankrupt. Those are the first people described as come on into heaven. So this is how we approach God. God wants us empty so he can fill us. And then actually be grateful because we recognize that we were in a pit without him. (laughs) And so David, in the depths, cries out. Perfect. Uh, Verse (coughs) 3. If you, O Yah, should mark iniquities, O Adonai, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. On judgment day. The proud will be made low and the humbled will be lifted up. If God asks for the payment of your sins from you, you are in serious trouble. 
And the psalmist knows this. And in their desperation, they reach out to God for mercy. Because they've sinned, they say, God, if you're going to make me foot this bill for my sins, I'm in trouble. But if you foot it, I can stand. I will survive. And so he cries out to God for forgiveness. And it was there. Verse 4. But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Okay, we're in new territory now. God forgives us for lots of reasons. He wants us in communion with him. He wants to use us for his glory. He wants, us to, he wants to use us to save the lost. You ever, you ever pray with somebody or share the gospel with somebody and they accept it? And then later you, you leave and you're like, why did God use someone like me? You know, there's a thousand better people. Well, God moves in our lives so he may use us. Isn't that incredible? And remember Moses, he's like, God, I'm not your guy. God, I am not a man of eloquent speech. I doth now not be able to ascend and do this. And of course, he has eloquent speech as he's telling God he doesn't have eloquent speech. Uh, and God says, nah, you're my guy. You're going to Egypt. And, and, and God uses the 80-year-old man to bring the superpower of the world to its knees. And the point is, God forgave Moses for all the things that he did so that he may use him to liberate others. So there's lots of reasons God forgives us. But here we see one of the reasons that God forgives us is so that we may fear him. Have you thought about that? We are now being introduced to one of the largest topics in the entire Bible, and that is the fear of the Lord. When it comes to the topic of the fear of the Lord, a lot of people start to get kind of squirmy and sweaty. (laughs) So... We can kind of file, sinfully file that in our brains and the things that used to happen in the Old Testament folder. Uh, well, we needed to fear the Lord before Jesus. Boop, in that file. I don't need to think about it. <clears throat> like it's a trash bin. But the fear of the Lord is also needed. To, it needs to be present in the life of the believer now. As we see in the New Testament, 1 Peter 1.15 says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. I love that verse. I'm, I'm tempted to preach that and stop. <clears throat> Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if, you, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear. Throughout the time of your exile, every single believer within the life of the church as covered by the blood of Jesus Christ is being made holy because Jesus was holy. So he imputed to us his holiness, but we also need to respond to that holiness with works, but that's all nothing. But, but here we see that in, within the life of the church, we are to conduct ourselves with fear. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls. 3,000 people get saved. Peter's like... I was just lopping off a dude's ear off a few weeks ago, and now thousands of people are getting saved and baptized. And after they gave themselves to the teachings of the apostles, right before the signs and the wonders came, it said they grew in fear of the Lord. And make no mistake, this holy fear is not a fear of, of man. 
or a fear of sickness or, or government. Someone came up to me today and go, boy, you nervous for your biopsy tomorrow? I go, honestly, I kind of forgot about it. <laughs> it's, not, it's, not, it's not a fear of any man, but it is a fear of God. Now, at the same time, we're also instructed as believers not to fear. Did you know that? 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So, let's put on our Bible hats here. How are we to fear God and also not to fear God? Well, if Peter tells us to fear God and John tells us not to fear God, there must be two different ways to fear the Lord. And there is. There is a sinful fear of the Lord, and there is a godly fear of the Lord. And one of the reasons God saves us is so that we may enter into a godly fear of the Lord. So you, okay, everyone says when you, when you leave church, you should have at least one takeaway. Here's your takeaway. You need to have a healthy fear of the Lord. Now, your job is to figure out what that means, and I'm going to try to help you do that. <clears throat> so let me put it this way. There is a fear of the Lord that runs from God, you know where I'm going, and a fear of the Lord that runs to God. Those are the two fears. There's a fear of the Lord that runs from God and a fear of the Lord that runs to God. When Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it says they hid themselves because they were afraid. Genesis 3.10, and Adam said, I heard the sound of you, God, in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. There is the fear of the Lord when, where we are, are, are aware of our sins, and instead of bringing them to God for redemption, we hide. We run. You ever start living a way that's contrary to God's law? This happens a lot to young people. And so what the, how do they run from God? They ignore him. <laughs> we stop coming to church. We stop reading our Bibles. We stop praying. We stop reaching out to Christians for counsel. This is the inappropriate fear of the Lord. There is a fear of the Lord, as John says, that has to do with punishment. Uh, for those of you that have come from a Catholic background, this might look like uh, you, we can see penance and mortification. But typically in our culture, when someone has an inappropriate fear of the Lord, typically they just ignore God altogether. But they know that there should that there is some afterlife. They know there's some deity somewhere. So they label themselves as, ah, I'm spiritual. I always, whenever someone tells me that, I always kind of just want to, I'm like, what are you talking about? You invented a religion? What, what does that mean? I'm spiritual. Well, I believe in zodiacs and Buddha was okay and, eh, you know, Jesus is all right. You know, some of it. And, and, and so, but that's a way of ignoring God. It's distorting God. Now, the clearest picture of sinful fear of the Lord that I can think of is from Revelation chapter 6 and starts at verse 10. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come who can stand? They knew God was all-powerful. And they were afraid. 
But instead of using that knowledge and that fear to run to God, they'd use that knowledge and fear to run from God. So there's a fear of the Lord that acknowledges who God is, and yet it runs, it hides from God. A fear of the Lord that's rooted in shame. Fear of the Lord that's rooted in punishment. And so instead of going to God, they run and hide from God. Now at the same time, there is a healthy fear of the Lord. And we are to have it. If sinful fear is running from God, then holy fear, godly fear, is running to God. Notice in this psalm, the psalmist, probably David, is in sin. He is in the depths, he says. Whenever you see the depths in the scripture, especially in the psalms, it's a picture of drowning. Ever feel like you're drowning? (laughs) Just me, okay. Uh, No, but if you ever feel like you're drowning, you just can't catch up. This is what sin does to us. I'm not going to make it. I'm so anxious and depressed. I'm not going to make it one more day. And sin has placed this man, probably David, in the depths. He is desperate. He has messed up. And so what does he do? In his reverence of God, in his fear of the Lord, he doesn't hide with his very last. When you're drowning, you have one breath. And with his last breath, he cries for mercy. The psalmist's fear of the Lord drove him to God. And this is a healthy fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord in the scriptures is often said and rightly that the word fear in Hebrew means reverence. Have you heard this? Fear of the Lord means reverence. Now we could also use that term reverence and hide behind it uh, and not deal with the complexities of this issue. But, but this is true. There is reverence for God and fear. This is why, how does the Lord's prayer start? Our Father. The, Lord started, uh, the Lord's prayer starts off with a fear of the Lord. With a reverence for the office of God. God is dad. God is father. And not in, the, not in the modern concept where parents are pushovers and they live to serve every whim of the child in sports and academics. This is, this is going out into the field and having your father teach you and instruct you. And if you don't listen, you're dead. You don't learn how to use the saw properly because your dad's teaching. You're losing something. You wander away from dad, a mountain lion gets you. When Jesus says, our father, it's not the guy who drives you to soccer practice. This is the guy who keeps you alive. (laughs) And it's reverence for the office. And a lot of people go, you know that word in Aramaic, uh, uh, Abba means dada. And it makes this very sweet thing. Yes. What happens if the father doesn't feed the child? It dies. So there's a deep reverence here as we enter into prayer. A healthy reverence for God, a fear of the Lord, is to estimate that God is superior to us. He is not our homeboy. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is not our life coach. He is the judge above all judges. And so we have two choices when it comes to our sinful humanity. We either rebel and run from the judge and king... Or in faith we come to him for mercy. And what the psalmist is laying out here today, that God forgives us so that we may fear him. Have you been forgiven of something before? God did that so you may know him better. 
so you may revere him, so that we may run to him and hide in him and rest in him. Remember what Jesus said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I wish that you would come to me as, as little babies underneath its mother's wing. We are to run and shelter in the Almighty. We don't shelter in someone we find ourselves equal with. We shelter in someone we revere and respect. And if they do not protect me, I'm doomed. So please understand, as we look at verse 4, we are being, we are being instructed today that when you sin... <laughs> When you are in the depths, when you feel like you're drowning from your own poor decisions, this is why victim, victimhood is a terrible thing, because it never allows you to reconcile that you are a sinner. You're always a victim of someone else's sin. No, you are a sinner. And your poor choices can put you in the pits. And here, if you feel like you're drowning from a poor, your own poor decisions, how do you fix that? Have a healthy fear of the Lord. Go to God for mercy. And the promise of this text is, those who fear the Lord rightly, who go to their heavenly superior for mercy, they will receive it. They will receive forgiveness. There, for there is what? Forgiveness in God. This is an open promise to you. You've messed up royally, congratulations. God forgives royally. <laughs> but you must go to him as a sinner, not as a victim. Verse 5. God, I love this psalm. It's so good. Uh, verse 5. I wait for Yahweh. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. We have the word wait here. Twice in verse 5, and we have it once at the beginning of verse 6. And what I want you to notice is that sometimes, even though God forgives us, we have to deal with the effects of sin and wait. <laughs> Martin Luther once said, If the devil cannot win in a first attack, he will try again some other time. And if I... In spite of all, stay on the right path. He will make use of his most awful weapon. A long-lasting, that is, he makes us tired. This is a horrible struggle of faith, which we don't have to fight a day or for a year, but as long as we are in the flesh. What Luther was getting at is the sharpest arrow in Satan's quiver is time. He wounds us with time. There are certain things, events, people <laughs> in everyone's life that Satan constantly works at. And this is the most tiresome trial because it never seems to end. But the psalmist is showing us even as we wait, we may hope in God's word. And though we may not feel relief right away, which Lord knows we want, <laughs> though we want relief right away, there is forgiveness in God. That though we may still be sick, there is coming a day when we will be in a land free of sickness. The psalmist is showing us how to endure trials of long waiting. You have something that just doesn't seem to go away. Well, the psalmist is telling you, Hope in God's word. There is your strength. 
I want us to understand something. This psalm seems to be written by David from, from the wordage, the phraseology, the structure. And I want us to think about David. I think this is really helpful. Because we can kind of read the, Bible, the people in the Bible as the others, and then there's us. David was the one who killed Goliath. He was the one to receive the covenant from God. Remember, Jesus is on his way to the temple and they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to God in the highest. And they say, here he comes, the son of David. That's not a blessing to Jesus, really. That's a blessing to David, (laughs) that he is associated with God Almighty. He's the one that receives the covenant from God. And he was the one who wrote most of the longest book of the Bible, the Psalms, many of which were prophetic of the coming Messiah, of Jesus. So he's also, in some sense, a prophet. And then God gives him supernatural ability and skill, and he rides out on the battle, and he's, he's an amazing general. Then he's an amazing king. Like Some of us in here have accomplished incredible things. We're nothing compared to what David has accomplished. And yet even he, when he was tired, when he was worn out, when he had made some grave mistakes, when he came to God in repentance, and David had to do this quite a bit, when David said, God, I'm sorry, God didn't appear to him and poof and say, you are forgiven. (laughs) Silence. Just like us, David had to wait. Have you ever come to God for mercy? And when you're done praying, all you can think is, I hope he was on the other end of that telephone line. (laughs) There's no... There's no sign from heaven when I say, oh God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. There's no earthquake. There's no bolts of lightning coming at you. Silence. Like the psalmist here, he is no different from us. They have gone to God for mercy. There's no great signs. But what he instructs us to do here is to then confidently hope in God's deliverance. And the instruction here for us is in our seasons of waiting, we need to recall the scriptures and stand on them. We need to hope in God's word and trust and believe what he says is true. That is faith. Hope in the assurance of things unseen. And hope in it. And stand on his promises. Like that he is a forgiver. My father used to preach all the time. He used to say, preach to your souls. You remember, for those of you, you remember him saying that all the time? It's so true. When you are tired and worn out, maybe you've put yourself in a pit. I think it's in Jeremiah, there's a pit pit. There's a double pit. Maybe you put yourself in a pit pit. In those seasons, repent and let your reverence for God drive you to him for deliverance. For mercy. And then what's the response to that? Are we waiting for earthquakes and lightnings? No. We wait expectantly that the promise that he, uh, the promises that he has given to us in his word will come true. So if you have a godly fear of the Lord, you run to him in prayer. 
and cling to his word and hope expectantly in his truths. For hope in God, what does Paul say, will never lead us to shame. As we wait and say, God, I am a sinner. I'd like an earthquake or a lightning bolt right now, but I'm going to hope in your word. And that is enough. For those who hope in his word, there is forgiveness in him. I want to read you verse 6. My soul waits for Adonai. More than watchman for the morning. More than watchman for the morning. There's one of those double things, huh? Awesome. In the Bible, when God wants to emphasize something, sometimes he employs things like chiasms, or in the Greek, inclusos, and sometimes he repeats words and phrases. Well, for example... Right before last night, me and the kids for, for Bible time, we did the story of Abraham. And right before Abraham slays Isaac, what does the Lord say? Abraham, Abraham, stop. It's this moment of great emphasis when, when the Bible doubles something. Uh, it's not just Abraham, it's Abraham, Abraham. Well, God does the same thing here in this psalm. We must wait for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. The watchman is someone who has the job of staying awake all night. Either to look out for a flock or they are placed on top of a city wall to guard it. And if you've ever stayed up all night, you get cold and sleepy. And just before the sunrise, it gets really dark. Dark, dark. (laughs) And the watchman knows when the moon's gone and it's dark, dark, that this darkness will lead to the sun cresting over the hills or the mountains or the water, which means that their shift is over. They can go to bed and get warm. (laughs) They can rest. What the psalmist is describing is someone in a desperate situation, either physically or emotionally, and they're waiting on the Lord like the watchman for the sunrise. You're tired. You're worn out. Maybe it's raining and you're cold and your nose is getting sinusy and it's just, I'm hungry. And and you're just ready to rest and you're eagerly anticipating God's relief. And this is how the psalmist describes his hope in God, that he has read the promises of God and now he waits for God to deliver him. And maybe it happens in this life, but it definitely will in the next. But but either way, those who fear the Lord, who turn to God, Adonai, Yahweh, and wait expectantly for his deliverance, they will receive it. And do you see this healthy fear, this healthy reverence here? It is, it is one that is constantly pursuing the Lord. This whole, the psalm opens with, I am a sinner. And the entire psalm is them running to God in hope. This psalm is permeated with a healthy fear of the Lord. It makes me think of Psalm 42, 1. As the deer pants for streams of water, oh, my soul pants for you, O oh God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While men say to me all day long, where is your God? When things look bleak, we pant after him. 
This is a healthy fear of the Lord. One who goes to Abba, to Father, for deliverance. Whether it be from external evils or internal evils, it is one that hungers and thirsts for the Lord. Verse 7. O Israel, hope in Yahweh, for with Yahweh there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. This psalm opens with a sinner's cry for help, and now it starts to conclude with with an expectant hope in God. And we can hope in the Lord because in him is steadfast love. I love that word, steadfast love. Every time I read it in the Psalms, I get fired up. Uh, Steadfast love in the Hebrew is is one word, and it's chesed, is is how it's said, chesed. And and it means love, it means steadfast love, but it implies a goodness, a good love. It implies kindness, a kind love. It implies faithfulness, a faithful love. You know people that are waxing and waning in love? This is a love that sustains in faithfulness. We don't really have a good word for it in English, so we have to use multiple words and smush them together to try to make the point. But what the psalmist is saying is God's people can hope in God because in him is love and mercy and goodness and kindness and faithfulness. God is all things good. He is altogether Lovely is what chesed means. I love that song Maria sang last son, last week. Remember that new song she sang? Well, it's from the scriptures, and, and something about singing the scriptures is so much more powerful. Uh, and, and it's a song from First Chronicles, and I got so fired up yesterday, uh, last Sunday. I'm like, I'm going to read it Sunday. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Isn't that awesome? Reminds me of Abraham Kuyper. There isn't one square inch in all of creation that God cannot declare mine. (laughs) Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. This is steadfast love. It is enduring, persistent, consistent, glorious goodness. God is all things good. He's all things glorious. He's all things majestic and great. And only, not only can we hope in him, but in him is plentiful redemption. Verse 7 of today's text tells us not just that God redeems his people, but that God's redemption is rava. It's plentiful, it's multiplied, it's growing in greatness. Think about that. God's greatness is expanding and will expand for the rest of eternity. This word for plentiful is somewhat related to the Hebrew word for locusts. You ever seen a swarm of locusts before? It's like me at a buffet, nothing safe, you know, But a swarm of love, you can't see through it. This is reminiscent of God's forgiveness for you. That there is so much abundant redemption and forgiveness for God's people. It's like a swarm of locusts around us. 
Praying for God's mercy is like standing in a blizzard of his mercy. Saying, God, please, mercy. It's smacking you in the face already. (laughs) There is so much forgiveness available to us. The Bible, what does it say? That God's mercies are new each day. (laughs) Does that mean only first thing in the morning? It's all day. It's a blizzard of his mercy all day. And all we must do is reach out and grab it. So, loved ones, it's not just that God forgives. It's that he forgives in abundance. He redeems in abundance. And this Hebrew word used for redemption here is not the typical word in the Old Testament. You know, I, I, every once in a while, a word will come up in the scriptures that's only used once or a handful of times. And I get excited because I go, ooh, what's this mean? Because it's a very specific word. It's a surgical word. That This word is used for redemption in this passage. The word redemption is used a lot in English, but, but the original Hebrew word is only used four times in the entire Bible. And it does mean to redeem, but it also carries with it another word. And it means to separate. I want you to listen to Exodus 8.23. Thus I will put a division. Same word here for redemption. Between my people and your people, tomorrow this sign shall happen. What the psalmist is getting is is that we can hope in God because he redeems and separates us in abundance. (laughs) Would not this be the most terrifying thing in the world if God's redemption was not also tethered to his separation? Would it not be the most terrifying thing in the universe if you could lose your salvation? <laughs> because let me tell you, if you could lose your salvation, you 10,000% would lose your salvation. <laughs> and we know this by the way the Bible talks about us. The man's heart is deceitful above all things. Why do you think we have the story of Esau selling his birthright for a bowl of soup? (laughs) No one searches after God. No, not one. All our works are as filthy rags. If you believe what the Bible says about you, do not have the audacity to think that you're holding your faith together. (laughs) But here we see when God forgives us, he doesn't say, okay, it's yours now, don't mess it up. (laughs) He then also separates us to himself. Remember what David said when when David's like, who's going to kill the giant? And they're all just shaking in their trousers and David goes, I'll kill him. And Saul's like, listen, you're just but a kid. And he goes, I've killed lions and bears. I've snatched lambs out of the mouth of lions before. Maybe it's a bear, but he snatched it out of one of them. What does Jesus say? No one will snatch you out of my hand. Jesus is the good shepherd. And once you are in his flock, he separates you unto his flock. And wolves and lions and bears are coming, but they ain't getting you. (laughs) Because he is the one. The lamb does not have a strong bite to kill a bear. But the shepherd deals with it. 
He, he redeems and separates us unto himself. It is God who keeps us and God who redeems us in abundance. So please hear me. God is in the business of forgiving sinners. But it is the sinner's job to go to God for forgiveness. It is the sinner's job to repent and turn to God. And if we do, forgiveness is in him. You cannot repent until you've acknowledged your sin. And you will not acknowledge your sin if you're always a victim. You must acknowledge you are a sinner before Almighty God. And if you run to him under those conditions, he will redeem and separate you unto himself. And when he separates you unto himself, he heals you. He strengthens you. He binds your wounds. What's the Bible call him? The great physician. (laughs) Once we are his, there is nothing that can separate us from his love because nothing is strong enough to pry us from his hands. That includes you. (laughs) Verse 8. God, I love this song. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The end. Oh, this is great. I love how this psalm ends. The psalmist moves from himself to the community. And the point is, the forgiveness, the redemption, the mercy that was available to the one who wrote the psalm is available to all of God's people. We are not reading the experience of one person. We're reading what is available to every person in this room. Not just he, but we can trust in God and wait for him as the watchman does for the morning because this mercy is available for all of us. Can't we read the Bible like a man behind iron bars from prison? Like, boy, that must be nice to be loved like that. (laughs) We, We can read of God's patience and love and kindness as if we are imprisoned from it. As if It was there, but it's just not for us, but it is. God did not give us the Bible, the Psalms, to tell us that God used to forgive people. (laughs) This Psalm ends with a glorious reminder that God's steadfast love, as I said, is available for all of us. And this is our hope. This is our hope. This is why we run to God in fear and reverence. And we hope expectantly in his word because he still works this way. Are we to believe God is less loving and caring now that he's poured out his spirit upon us? Are we to believe God is less merciful now that Jesus Christ has come? Is Jesus the bad news or the good news? The good news. And is in him is plentiful plentiful redemption and it's grown in Christ and so that's today's text I'm going to close with one thought verse 7 I am in love with verse 7 I love how it concludes and and with him is plentiful redemption I love that I get stuck on things sometimes and I just really get stuck I also love how how the word redemption implies separation. That was one of those things I couldn't move past. And verse 7 made me think of what Jesus said in Mark 10.45. It says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom, very similar word there to redemption, for many. 
Psalm 130 is a psalm that is filled with the promises of Jesus Christ. Verse 3 fascinatingly says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who can stand? That's a fascinating verse because this, this psalm is filled with statements and God wills. It's very sure of itself, this psalm. And I'm sure when the psalmist was originally writing this song, they were attempted to write, if God should mark iniquities, none could stand. Right? Wouldn't that be the logical thing you would write? If God should count our sins, no one could stand. But he doesn't write that. The Spirit doesn't allow them to write that. The reason being God was planning someone whom could stand. And it was Jesus Christ. The only begotten Son of the Father, Jesus Christ, who is vera homo, vera deus, both truly God and truly man. (laughs) The psalmist asks, who can stand? Well, here we are on this side of Calvary, and we have the immense honor and the privilege to know. If God Almighty should mark every single man's iniquities and sins, is there anyone who could stand? And the answer that is proposed here, not the statement, the question is later answered. And there's only one. There is one person in all of human history who can stand before God if God should count our sins against humanity. And you know who this is. It's Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of the Father, who took on what? human flesh. He became us and became the perfect son that we should have been. And it is in Jesus that we can stand. This is what that glorious scene in Revelation chapter 5 is describing. Who is worthy to take the scroll? Who's worthy in all of creation? And they looked in heaven and earth and under the earth and in the sea and in the junk drawer of your kitchen where everything seems to be. They looked everywhere to see who was worthy. (laughs) And there was only one who was found worthy. The Lamb, Jesus Christ. The one who took on human flesh and lived the perfect life. So not that only he would be saved, but that all who put their trust and belief in him may receive forgiveness for their iniquities. No matter where you are in the Bible, and and I just want to encourage you, if you're not reading the Bible, what are you doing? Read the Bible. (laughs) Read it every day. It's called, it's 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 manna. You eat every day, don't you? (laughs) Why would you not feed your soul every day? (laughs) Read the Bible. Read it for 10 seconds if that's all you got, but read it. (laughs) Read it. How are you supposed to believe and open something if you're not believing and opening it daily? You believe and open. Well, anyways. <laughs> no matter where you are in the Bible, here's a pastor tip for you. If you want, you ever read a passage and go, what in the world did I just read? If you want to know what God is trying to communicate, if you want to read well with an impact, Run every text, your text, through the cross. And as we read this Old Testament passage through the cross, what we see here, clear as day, is that the reason there is plentiful redemption for all of God's people is because this plentiful redemption was purchased for us by the blood of another. 
The reason there is forgiveness in God is because forgiveness was purchased for us by the blood of another. The reason you will not rightly burn in hell for all of eternity, for all of your multitudinous iniquities. You know what that means? Your sins, if they were put, made dominoes, would stack to the ceiling. If God should count those dominoes and make you pay for them, you could not. You can't pay for one of those dominoes, let alone the stealing, ceiling stacker. But one came along to foot the bill. And I want you to notice that verse 8 does not conclude with, we will redeem. We will redeem. It doesn't say that. You do not redeem. It is God who redeems. We can put so much emphasis on our response, can't we? We can put so much emphasis on what we're doing. You ever pray sometimes and think, ah, maybe I didn't mean it enough. So you try again tomorrow and then you really mean it. And then a week later it's like, ah, that didn't count. And then you really, really mean it. And you do this thing like it's you. It's not you. <laughs> it's not you. It is not we will redeem. It is God who redeems. We cannot redeem ourselves like at all. We cannot ransom ourselves at all. Listen, if the incarnation, the, the, the coming of Jesus Christ is a little babe in a manger at Bethlehem, if the incarnation teaches us anything at all, it tells us that salvation has to come from outside of us. It is God that redeems us. If you have any hope of being allowed into heaven, it will be because you have put your hope into Jesus Christ for your salvation. That's all you have. But the glorious news is that's all you need. <laughs> God redeems his people, and that redemption comes through Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to take away the sin of the world. Do, do you, know, do, do you want to know how there is forgiveness available to you? Because Jesus rose again on the third day. The resurrection was the sign that the sacrifice was accepted. He was sacrificed on the cross, and that sacrifice was accepted by the Father when he rose Jesus on the grave from the third day. And because Jesus rose as we are in him, we will rise. And so when we die, we don't stay dead. We come back to life. And then we really start to live. <laughs> His sacrifice on the cross was accepted as a once and for all sacrifice for all who believe. But question, does the Bible teach universalism? Does the Bible teach that all men go to heaven regardless of what they believe or how they live? No. <laughs> how are we saved? How are we forgiven? How is there plentiful redemption available to us? And the answer is simple. We must believe and run to the Lord. And cry out to Him and run to Him and look to Him. As the old hymn says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. Listen, we're all sinners. We're all sinners. Some people don't go to God because they think they're not worthy of it. Congratulations, you get the gospel. 
None of us deserve it. We all deserve God's wrath. If you don't recognize that, stop being a victim for a second and realize that God is perfect and you are imperfect and God is a good judge. And a good judge cannot let injustices go. And if God let you go, if he let you into heaven, he is an unjust judge because an unjust judge would not, a just judge would not allow injustice. And so the just judge must deal with injustice because the just judge is good. And because God is good, that is the number one problem of humanity. God is good and we are not. (laughs) But God provided a way. So hope. Hope in what... uh, Hope in God's steadfast love, his chesed. In his kindness and his mercy and his goodness. All of which has been revealed to us in Jesus Christ. And and here we are. In Christ church. And we know. We know where forgiveness and plentiful redemption comes from. You ever ever see people and they're trying to figure it out? You know, if there's heaven, I'll make it. Why? I don't know. (laughs) Because I'm a good person. How are you a good, by what standard is my favorite question there. (laughs) We know where plentiful redemption comes from. Do you know how blessed you are? You could have been in a thousand other places, born in a thousand other places and never even hear the name. You know the name. Of God's Son. And if you believe in Him, you are saved. So, who can stand? We can stand in Him. (laughs) So, I want to encourage you today if you have a healthy reverence and fear of the Lord, run to God. Listen, what what does Paul say? Our life is a race. (laughs) You run to the Lord until you're with the Lord. You run every day. And every day you wake up and every day you run to him, there is plentiful redemption available to you. Run to him in reverence. Run to him in fear. Run to him in mercy and kindness. Because his word just promised it is available to us. And the worst thing in the world we can do is start running the marathon the other direction. (laughs) The good news is that Jesus died so that we may live. And if we accept that, we will have everlasting life. We're so quick, aren't we? We're so quick to put ourselves outside of God's love. Like we do not deserve this. But that's fighting against the scriptures now, isn't it? That's sinful now, isn't it? That's making an idol out of our sinfulness. You think that's greater than God's might? (laughs) His goodness, his love? And then sometimes we get on our knees and say, God, give me a sign. (laughs) Show me. 
But God doesn't want to give you an earthquake or a lightning bolt or a voice from heaven because he wants you to run to him. He wants you to run so that when he sees you a long way off, he may gird up his loins and run to you and fall on you and kiss you and kiss you and kiss you and put a robe on you and sandals on your feet and a ring on your finger and slaughter the fatted calf, my man. (laughs) And throw a party. You know, God talks about us stepping into heaven as a feast, like a half a Wagyu cow on a barbecue smoker somewhere. Come on in, beer's cold, or you know, whatever God's got. There's wine in heaven, we know that, so take that. And so, barbecue and wine, I'm ready. All we have to do is hope. Stop putting the emphasis on you and start putting it on him. (laughs) And you will be free. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. We ask that you would strengthen us and, and, and make us who you desire us to be. God, we pray for those of us that get scared and worried that we are not who we are supposed to be, that we are not um, walking in your will, God. If we, we ask for a great act of mercy that if we are not, that you would speak to us. But God, for those that are just scared, we ask that you would pour your spirit upon them in a mighty way that they may not fear what we need not fear. So God, please mold us and shape us and conform us into the image of your son and help us to to hope and wait in your word more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. We pray if anyone here needs prayer that they may go up and talk to our prayer team by the side here. We pray for those who are worn out and tired that you may strengthen them and help them to plug into the body of Christ here. And God, we pray for those of uh, those here that do not know you, that they may today start running to you. <laughs> not as a victim, but as a sinner who needs mercy. For in you there is mercy abundantly. So we love you, God. We thank you. We praise you. Grow us into your image. And all who agreed in Jesus' name said, Amen. Let's stand and worship. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Calvary, Baltimore. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email with your questions, prayer requests, or just to say hi. Our email address is calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. If you'd like to donate to support the work God is doing through Calvary, Baltimore, go to calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. And if you're in the area, stop by on a Sunday morning. For directions and service times, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. If you can't be here in person, we also live stream on our website and on our Facebook page. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. Until next time, as Pastor Josh says, study the Word to live the Word to share the Word. And join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore Weekly Sermon.